This is Jason from the Dank Rares Podcast. In this episode, we interview Known Origin. They're one of many new blockchain-based art marketplaces, but unlike many of the other marketplaces, Known Origin has really gone out of their way to try to understand how to bridge people from the traditional art world to the blockchain-based digital art world. They do this by having pop-up shops, and they plan on doing more globally. They also go out of their way to make it so that you can print digital copies of the work that you purchase from them online in high resolution. I think they're going to do some things that are really innovative, and I like that they're taking an approach that's really inclusive and careful to bring people uh, from physical art over into the digital and blockchain-based art space. I hope you enjoy the episode. Would agree to uh, just introduce yourselves again. Okay, I'll go first. So uh, my name is James Morgan, um, uh, one of the co-founders of Known Origin. Um, I'm a software engineer by trade. Uh, got into blockchain a couple of years ago. Um, I love the pace in which the whole industry is moving, um, and I love the technical challenges it's trying to overcome. That gets me very excited. Great, thanks, James. Uh, I'm David Moore. I'm a designer by trade, moved into user experience about six years ago. Um, recently, over the last two years, got into Ethereum blockchain technology and met James and Andy, who's the other co-founder of Known Origin, um, on a mutual project. Great. Thanks, David. So uh, a programmer and a designer, and what's Andy's background? And Andy is also a uh, software engineer as well. Um, so I've known Andy for a good few years um, through various other contracts and projects we've worked on over the last six years. Yeah, but he's an engineer, yeah. Great. Yeah, so what I usually like to do is start by asking folks what it was that first brought them into blockchain and kind of how long they've been interested in it, and then uh, maybe sort of just hint a little bit at, at what took your interests from blockchain over um into art. What got me into blockchain a couple of years ago, maybe two, two and a half years, um, Andy got in contact with me about a hackathon he was going to enter using something called Ethereum. At the time, I'd never really heard about it. So he sort of introduced me to it. Um, I started doing some reading, some learning, and then we, we entered one of the hackathons and came second. Unfortunately, we didn't win the 5,000 ETH um, which at the time was worth very little, really, compared to what it would be worth now. I mean, we went 100 ETH, and you know, it was still a great experience with other teams around the world. Um, and then from there, I just sort of started to immerse myself in the tech and in the problems it's trying to solve. Um, and over the last sort of 12 to 18 months, I started to immerse myself in it heavily and professionally. Um, we set up a community group as well um, called Blockchain Manchester, it's been quite popular. Um, we're trying to bring some of the blockchain tech from London, where it's very focused in the UK, uh, further up the north, north of the country, further to Manchester. Some great people there, some great projects. Um, and yeah, that's where we are now, I suppose. Great. David? My story's a little different to, to James's. So I 
ended up working on a project with James and Andy, who's a user experience consultant. And I kind of stumbled across Andy's screen when he had some sort of crazy chart on it. It looked like it was somewhere, some exchange he was looking at. And I kind of piqued my interest. I asked what it was. And he told me a little bit about Bitcoin and how the price had just gone crazy. I didn't know anything about blockchain at this point. I asked him kind of how he got into it. He told me the same anecdote that James did about the uh, almost winning 5,000 ETH. And he was kind of frantically looking for a wallet address uh, key that had the um, had the 50 ETH in. Because I guess at the time they won it, it was only worth a dollar each or something. But when he, when he was showing me, it had kind of spiked to about $90, I think. So then that, that's kind of my first introduction into Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain. Cool. Yeah, so uh, two questions. I'm curious, did you end up finding the, uh, the wallet address to uh, the ETH? And then also, uh, I'm curious about the project, James, that you guys did for the hackathon. What was the nature of the project? Yeah, so um, luckily Andy did find the key to the pro- uh, to the ETH that we had, so we could split that between the people that were in the hackathon. Um, and the project we were uh, trying to build, we were building a proof of concept for a telephony exchange where you could, different telephony providers um, could basically bid on a price per call, and then it would allow uh, you, the customer to then pick the choice of, um, provider, and then it would hook the two lines together. And that's because me and Andy have done a lot of work historically in the telephony space. Yeah, it was quite a good idea. It was quite immature. You know, tooling back then was a lot different than it is now. Um, but yeah, it was good fun. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that must have been like shortly after ETH launched, right? I mean, if, uh, if, if yeah. the price was that low. Yeah, Andy, Andy got into it earlier than me, but I know he went down to London and met some of the Chaps that he's quite familiar in the finance industry, and they got quite involved quite early from what I'm aware of. So that's uh, where he came from, I suppose. Great, great. So then the the story that's always interesting to me because it's usually a blend. You know, there are a lot of folks working in art and blockchain, and it's usually a blend of folks that either came from art and then moved into blockchain, or folks that were in blockchain and sort of had an interest in art and wanted to build out and around that. Uh, I'm curious how, so I, I get that there was a, a, a designer and a couple of programmers and that you guys were kind of, you know, looking at this stuff, but how did you come up with the idea to sort of move into building a, an online gallery? So I can take this up, I guess. I've run, I've run events in uh, the north of England, there were more kind of TED Talk style events, like network events. Um, and we used to get speakers from all types of different creative backgrounds. Um, so I, I had like a really big kind of community already of artists, illustrators, creative practitioners. Um, I'd done that for the last eight years. I kind of wanted something new. So I thought, why don't I use the illustrators and designers and artists that I kind of I know and have a relationship with and set up a pop-up gallery? kind of mentioned this to James and Andy, and they said, have you thought about letting people buy art with cryptocurrency? And I thought, uh, that excited me, because it was something new, it's something that's not been done before. So then I thought it was pretty cool. And then they said to me, well, if we use kind of blockchain technologies and the principles around blockchain, we can start proving who owns the art. And that really excited me because that is a real kind of contentious thing with 
um, proof of ownership in the art world and provenance. It didn't take long before as guys were around a whiteboard kind of mapping out how we could turn this concept into like a real thing and how it might allow people to buy both digital and physical pieces of art at a pop-up gallery in Manchester. So while Andy and James kind of set to work building an MVP version of kind of what eventually turned into Known Origin, I went out searching for gallery space, onboarding illustrators, artists, designers to kind of showcase and sell their work at the gallery. It was tough. There were some crazy late nights, some heated conversations, but we, we managed to get a pop-up gallery and everything in place like the first week of April. Wow, yeah. And yeah it's, pro- it's probably worth noting we tried to coincide it. There's a, a festival called, or a conference called CoinFest that a guy called Adam puts on every year in Manchester, which is a crypto and blockchain-related fest- uh, conference. So we coincided it for the first day or the second day of that, which uh, was, was quite an interesting experience because we had lots of blockchain people. Then we had lots of creatives from Dave's side as well. And marrying the two together at the Pop-Up Art Gallery was uh, it's really interesting. Yeah, that's great. And I think having a deadline sometimes helps too, right? So when you're trying to get something out there and you're like, okay, we're going to have it by this festival, right? That's why I said, we didn't have a choice. We had to have something for the fifth because we had 200 people turning up to a private viewing. So yeah, the deadline kind of really put the... Yeah. But we're used to kind of delivering things kind of quick but like kind of thin slice, kind of MVP style. Mm. Um, we partnered with Trust Wallet for like trying to make the purchase flow more seamless for the kind of physical stuff and the digital stuff, and that kind of worked really well. Um, we've got a good relationship with them, so part of our mapping session was like a QR code that would sit as a label below each piece of physical artwork, and then you'd essentially use Trust Wallet to pop the QR code that would launch the Known Origin website at the appropriate art piece that you could buy it. It worked well. Yeah, everything worked well at the first pop-up? Yeah, it was, uh, obviously there was a few small teething problems, but, you know, I was quite surprised, really, um, that it all hung together, but that's mainly because we went to bed at 3 a.m. the last few nights trying to get everything finished, and I was a little bit tired and hazy by the time the actual event came around. <laughs> So I'm like the classic optimist. It'll be fine. <laughs> um, James and Andy are a bit more realist. They see how it could go wrong path, and I'm a bit more. Let's just do it. Let's let's get it out there. Let's see how it how if it crashes and burns. We've learned stuff, but we got like 200 people from both sides of the art community and the crypto community. We got them in a room. We got them. We had a common ground, which is like creativity. And we got them talking. I thought. I thought it was. I thought it was a huge success. It was. Yeah. It went way better than I expected. I can totally sympathize. I'm one of three brothers, and I'm the artist. And my brothers are both uh, software engineers. So my my job is to come up with the impossible dreams, and their job is to explain why it's not possible. So, <laughs> But it's it's a good uh, a good combination. So yeah, I like the story because I think you know I've talked to um, a lot of folks who are launching sort of blockchain style art markets, and I can usually tell the ones that I think are gonna do well are the ones that usually sort of have like an organic formation story. So it's like 
you know, uh, for you guys, David's already looking to, to sort of set up a traditional art market and sort of has this design and art network, um, you know, and then James and Andy already working on solutions there. So it's sort of, it just, it made sense, right? Versus I've, I've talked to a few folks who, you know, protect the, protect them by keeping them nameless, but it's sort of like, we want to build a blockchain company. What should we pick? Like spin the wheel. Oh, it looks like people are doing art. Let's do art. You know, this just seems like a pretty organic thing for you guys. I think what's interesting is, so for folks that maybe don't know, how does the, the pop-up gallery work? Like what exactly is a pop-up gallery? I think I kind of know what one is. But it's, it's interesting to me that there's still this physical component to what you guys are doing. It's not just like, hey, we're going to launch an online web-based marketplace. There's still very much like a human, in-person, physical element, it seems like. Because you've had a few of these pop-ups. Is that, is that right? Um, we've had, we had, we did one for our launch. Um, we've got one kind of, we're putting in the, the groundwork now to do our second one. We decided to do only do two a year um, because one they take a lot of work, but two we want to keep them quite um, like at an event, like a like a conference type stuff, you know, like a one off event. Um, but what what we did started with trying to essentially you can't pop up value without artists, right? So the first thing I did was go out and kind of sell the vision to the artists and get them excited by it and. One thing they do understand is gallery space and getting people there who are keen to spend money on art. One, the thing they don't really get their head around initially and still struggle with because it's so new is Ethereum, cryptocurrencies, blockchain. But the beauty of the pop-up gallery was they totally got that. They totally understood it. So what we ended up doing, we had 21 artists exhibiting with 30 pieces of art um, around 15 of the 30 pieces were digital which we essentially projected on a big screen um, so there's a combination of like physical pieces and projections and each piece had um, a QR code that basically pushed to known origin so you could go see the physical piece pop the QR code pay with ETH and essentially, you'd get the digital asset, and then you come like any art gallery. You put a red dot on it, on the label, and then you come back and collect it on the Sunday. Um, and that seemed to that seemed to work really well as a concept. Um, not a huge amount of money changed hand on the launch night, but as far as uh, promoting what Known Origin was and is was going to be, and getting the right people in the right room. I thought it was a, a brilliant thing. Yeah, I think it's probably worth mentioning as well that uh, with the non-entrepreneur smart contracts, when you create assets, you can identify whether they're physical or digital. Now, we've only done physical uh, at the very beginning uh, for the pop-up, but the sort of goal or one of the goals was to be able to sort of mark up a piece of art with a tamper-proof sticker and then you would also get the digital asset. So in theory, you could then tie the two together. And if you ever sold the physical piece, you could then transfer ownership of the digital asset to the person as well. You know, that's still sort of quite um, quite new, and I think we'd need to do more work on that in the future. But as a concept, I think those sorts of things are going to come to fruition over the next year or so. 
Yeah, I see that as a, a big um, point of, of debate, right? So uh, the, the idea that you can just create digital work and sell and buy digital work for for nerds like me, it's like a it's like a godsend. I love it, right? So I, I didn't I didn't have to think twice. I was like, oh yes, I definitely want to start collecting digital work. But it's it for people that maybe haven't collected much art in general or aren't as tech savvy um, or just are sus- suspicious, which is understandable. Um, this idea that you can buy just buy digital work is still sort of new and, and confusing for folks. So I think having a bridge back to physical work to help kind of guide you know guide people along is is smart. And then there are also just lots of the majority of artists you know that are used to selling their work are still working with physical materials, right? So I get emails daily from people that are like, "Hey, I, I make paintings. How do I get that on the blockchain?" And a lot of the other uh, marketplaces that I've talked to have started purely purely digital, right, for uh, a few different reasons. But I know they're getting requests for how to handle physical work. So uh, what you've described is sort of interesting in that it sounds like you're saying there's both sort of a digital and physical component to digital work where you would have sort of the digital image of the physical work plus the physical work. Do I have that right? Yes, it's almost like uh, Dave might be able to give a better explanation, but when we did our research, you know, if you go into an art gallery and you want to claim ownership of something or prove ownership, it's they get out big dusty books and find pieces of paper, and you know, it's it's quite difficult. But there's no reason why you couldn't track the provenance of a physical piece of art with a digital token as well. And we use ARC seven two one tokens for that exact reason. You could quite easily transfer ownership as part of the sale of a physical piece. And then at least you'll know who's got it and where it's been. Obviously, there's, it's like I said, it's still quite immature. And, you know, how can you guarantee it gets transferred and things like that? But as a concept, I, I quite like joining the two worlds together and having true sort of provenance of a physical and a digital piece. Got it. Yeah. So you're, you're tracking both physical piece and the provenance documentation of ownership and supporting materials. Exactly. Got it. Got it. That, that's interesting because I know. Um, the, the bulk of folks that I've talked to, a lot of them are doing one or the other, right? So there are folks like Rare Labs and Super Rare that are sort of the marketplace side. And I guess you could argue just the, the EtherScan certificates would be sort of enough to show the provenance. But then there are folks like Codex and um, Artery and Verisart who are more on the provenance side. But, um, yeah. you know, it, it sounds like you're, you're going, at least for the artists that you represent, you're going to be able to sort of handle both, right? Yeah, that's the goal. Cool. So how are you thinking about digital work versus versus physical work? So for me, I know you've had this pop-up show and it sounded like a certain number of them were uh, digital pieces and some were physical. But then I know when I've gone to your marketplace, the bulk of what I see seems sort of natively digital because there's a fair amount of like animation and things like that going on. You know, are, are you just pretty much open to digital and physical work on your, your marketplace? Or do you think you'll continue to get more of the physical work and the pop-ups, but maybe focus more on digital on the, the online marketplace? I'm just curious about how you see that mix. And maybe as an extension to that question, uh, what the interest levels have been. Have there been? Has there been more or less interest in, say, digital or physical? Or is it, does it really not seem to matter just yet? Dave, I think the mix is you know, the marketplace and the online marketplace definitely feels like it's more of a digital setup of what 
digital representations of physical pieces. So it's people that have created a physical art piece and then had uh, studio photography done of it, like high-res studio photography. They've submitted that. There is this element of like physical digital that becomes a digital asset. But I think uh, our, our goal is to do more pop-ups that have a mix of two, uh, the physical and the digital side. I think the pop-ups handle it a little bit better because there's more of an interaction there with the user. You get a sense of scale. You get a sense of like the medium that it's been used in. Um, it feels a little more traditional, but it has that kind of tech and the provenance using the blockchain to kind of back up the the, the things that the current art world's kind of missing. Yeah, I think that's quite true. I also think the physical, like one of the things, especially for me and Andy, we want to utilize as much blockchain tech as possible, especially on the marketplace. So we don't require users to log in because we know that you can you can like use Web3 to or create an account. You know, we shouldn't have to know exactly you know, your email or your name, but we should be able to securely allow you to purchase a piece of digital artwork. So, you know, bringing the physical world into the marketplace is quite a tricky problem to solve and we haven't really got the capacity for that yet. And I know you mentioned like Codex and I know uh, Art Art Blocks Creative or uh, the Blockchain Creative, another company we've sort of reached out to, they're trying to solve the physical space. Um, and there's no reason why we couldn't do partnerships in the future and those sorts of things. But it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, the tricky thing that I've heard, so um, I'm not super, super uh, tech savvy on the blockchain side, but just having talked to a lot of folks, I think the tricky thing, and you've kind of hit at it, is if you want to retain anonymity, um, how do you know where to send something physical? Exactly. And you shouldn't need to capture those details in order to sell digital work. It's quite a purist view, you know, but I, I don't think you need that those things. Right, but then if it comes to physical work, you sort exactly. of it's inevitable, right? Or maybe it's not. Maybe someone will come up with some, you know, sort of solution where there's like a third trusted party um, that yeah, maybe your anonymity or something. But yeah, it seems like that's that's the sort of the stumbling block right now is. If someone, because I know there are artists that want to sell physical work on these markets, um, and they're like, "Well, you know, it's a it's a it's a known problem that's been solved a thousand times over. People ship things all the time." Um, and then when you explain to them, well, part of the appeal for early adopters, especially, is that they don't have to give over their personal information in order to participate as a consumer. Yeah, agreed. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah, I think the 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 pop-ups to me feel like sort of a unique and interesting and, and uh, smart approach for you guys in, in terms of building relations because another part of it is people like to know the artist, right? So there's this sort of this relationship building opportunity I'd imagine that happens at these. Now, with the, the first pop-up we did, we had a, an artist come up from Brighton called Barry Davis. His work is kind of psychedelic, uh, pop art style, and he, he's a real character. And he kind of he, he kind of brought the glamour to the uh, event, really. And yeah, people they want to talk to the artists. They want to know their story. They want to know their backgrounds. Why they, they similar to you? Like, why did you get into art? What's your what's your your story into kind of the art world, really? And I think that adds that adds value to a piece. 
the amount of people that you see, they look at a piece, they kind of like it, and as soon as they get a bit of a backstory, it adds that extra kind of nudge to purchase. Yeah, that makes sense. Have you thought about, you know, here's a question. Um, have you thought about what you can do in your digital online marketplace to try to carry some of that experience? You can. I don't think you can ever fully replicate the in-person experience of sort of a pop-up gallery, but are there elements that you're sort of thinking about how do you bring those over into the marketplace uh, environment? Yeah, so we've kind of got a bit of like a wish list for features that we're, we're looking at exploring and kind of artist portfolios or accounts, definitely one of them where, um, and some kind of peer-to-peer messaging or some way of talking to the artist. At the minute, we've got a lot of our artists on Telegram and they're really active kind of talking to talking to us and talking to people that are buying their pieces. I don't know if you saw the tweet from uh, Kitty Hats. Yeah, I did. That was great. Yeah, it was yeah. good to see that people are supporting each other in the space. Yeah, they basically said that it was them guys that bought Frankie's first piece and he was on Telegram and he was like stoked. Um, and then... Off the back of that, just that small success, he submitted a bunch of new kind of ultra-rare pieces, one-offs, that are really, really nice. They're going to go live, hopefully, in the next couple of days. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think that when all it takes is one sale, whether it's buying one thing or selling one thing, and people get the, sort of the bug because it's like it really is kind of magic, right? Like it's such a cutting-edge thing technology-wise and then when you realize that it's not just, I mean, there are a lot of things out there where you can submit your work and it just kind of, or your portfolio and it just kind of sits there. So I think until it actually sells, people don't really understand that like this is a space that's growing and it's entirely possible to buy and, and sell work uh, through, through the blockchain. So yeah, and I'm also always glad to see that, that folks support each other within the space. I feel like it's you know, I've, I've been buying digital work through a lot of these blockchain things as they kind of launch. Um, and I, I, so I've gotten to meet a lot of the different people. And I think that early days, there's just, it's, it's still so new. And, and the amount of people that understand this are still so small that everybody kind of has to partner, right? And work together. Because if you spend any cycles trying to compete with each other or shout each other down, then the, the market may never fully evolve. I don't know if you would agree with that, but. Yeah, I agree completely. And, you know, as Dave says, we've kind of got a wish list of features we're just working through. And I think innovation is really the key to this whole uh, space at the moment. You know, everyone does it slightly different, but also the same. And there's lots of problems that, like we mentioned on the physical side that haven't been solved properly yet that will be solved. So if everyone just carries on innovating and working together, you know, in the end, you're going to end up with something that is, 10 times better than the current arts world, but also way more powerful, you know, way more expansive. You know, I think there's quite a lot of potential in the space. Yeah, I agree. I I always tell folks, you have to make the pizza before you worry about the size of your slice, right? Yeah, yeah, very true. Yeah. So, uh, but given that, I'm sure, you know, um, folks, so I think it's good that folks are working together across different projects. But I, I'm also, I know that people are kind of aware and trying to build out things that, that are sort of unique too, right? So that we don't have a lot of redundancy. 
what are some of, you know, what are some of the things that you guys feel like are going to maybe set you apart or sort of make your, your offering unique moving forward? I will say one of the things I'm starting to notice as, as some of the markets maybe start to look a little bit more, a little bit more similar, it seems like the, the choice of art and artists will become increasingly important in terms of a differentiator. But I'd be curious how you look at your own tech and your own sort of selection of artists and curation process as potentially setting you aside from, from other offerings. Maybe you talk about the creation, Dave, and I'll talk about the tech next. Yeah, that's good. You want to start with some of the tech on the tech yeah, yeah, sure. So um, the immediate thing we're working on is, so we've approached a few of the digital um, sort of first artists, and we spoke about this idea of allowing ownership of like a true high-res digital asset. So what we've been working on over the last three to four weeks is a blockchain solution that once you've purchased a piece of digital artwork, will then allow you for a small amount of time and for a limited number of times to download a truly high-res version of that digital art piece. So I know there's people out there like Crypto Goods that allow you to get your crypto kitty printed on a mug or a T-shirt. But we we sort of quite like the idea of being able to maybe print your digital piece and actually put it on the wall. So we've got a blockchain solution that uses verified signatures that will then, if you are the ownership, the owner of that contract or the owner of the asset, should I say, will then for, allow you to download a true high-res version of that. And it's still sort of quite early today. I was hacking on it this morning and quite late last night. But once that goes live, I think that's quite different. And, you know, it's still very much a it's a trial. You know, it's a hypothesis that people like this. Um, but from a tech point of view, that's really quite interesting. Yeah. And that's just one of several things, I suppose. I, I find that uh, really interesting, actually. And, I, and I'll be curious about the, uh, the other tech things because I can tell you, um, I talk to lots and lots of collectors and artists and people kind of working in the space. And I think that is unique, but it's also something that, a lot of people are are asking because it, it doesn't come natural to most people to just buy something digital. Agreed. Um, a and then B, even if, to the folks that do want the thing that's digital, they don't understand what owning it means if they can't print it out if it's not physical, right? So um, I'm a bit um, different, I think, than most folks in that I I love keeping things digital that were made digital, but that's definitely not the norm. I think everyone I talk to wants sort of this bridge, right? So I see yeah. I see you guys doing a great job of bridging the traditional art world and collecting art through traditional methods of like uh, having galleries through your pop ups, and then just sprinkling in and introducing the blockchain and the technical concepts. And then similar now on the consumption side, it sounds like um, you're really being thoughtful about. Uh, the fact that most people may just kind of have their minds blown and not necessarily want to participate right out of the gate with buying um, a JPEG that they think everyone else can see. So giving yeah. them sort of this unique opportunity to print something out that they can own, it's, it seems like, yet again, another nice bridge sort of to yeah. what people are doing. And I think from the tech side, we're, we're trying to get quite, uh, stick quite purist with that. You know, we're using the Ethereum sort of signed transaction concept. So we're not doing this in a traditional, you know, sign up and login. We're asking you to pseudo-anonymously sign some uh, some data, and then we verify that server-side 
and then we will stream back like a, a one-off, one-time download link. Um, you know, and all the images in the site are currently hosted on IPFS as low res, but some of the artists have provided us with high resolution, like really high resolution versions of that. So if with their um, sign off and if the person owns it, you know, I don't see any reason why this isn't a thing. Yeah, I have to ask on IPFS. Actually, I'll tell you first a funny story. I did an entire Dank Rares episode where I was calling IPFS uh, SPF, which is like for suntan lotion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I, IPFS um, is an interesting concept to me because in the inevitable debate about where the work is stored, especially with like a newbie, you know, if you're like, hey, they're like, where does the work actually live? Does it live on the blockchain? And you're like, no, it's it's on IPFS. And then people just kind of get quiet and nod. But I don't think a lot of people know necessarily what, what IPFS is. So I, I think it's always good to have uh, folks, you know, kind of describe what that is and, and how it stores things sort of at a high level for the audience. And then also I'm curious are your high-resolution images also going to be stored in IPFS, or is that sort of a, a limitation where the low-res will be there and the higher-res one will be stored somewhere else? Because my not-so-techy understanding is that there's sort of a hash to the work on the blockchain, so there's a hash that connects what's stored in IPFS. Um, so yeah, a lot there, but I'm curious, is the high-res image also IPFS, maybe just a high-level definition for folks of what IPFS yeah, so, is? Yeah, so, um, yeah, no problem. So our ERC721 tokens are imprinted with the metadata standard, which comes uh, is attached to that. That then references an IPFS hash, and as you say, on that hash, it has some interesting to- sort, of, uh, sort of details. It says who the artist is, a description of the work. It also has a sort of low-res-ish image that is attached to it, or just a, it's not really low-res, just a normal resolution image that is attached to the the digital art piece. Now, at the moment, or at least for this very first version, the high-resolution images are stored in our servers, so that's not quite on IPFS yet. Whether it will be or not, you know, I'm, uh, you know there's some limitations in IPFS, like, for example... Uh, we don't want this to just be freely available to anyone. So we have like one-off or one-time use download links that we generate each time someone requests it. And we also say like you can only request it a maximum of three times and the link will expire after five minutes because we don't want this to be abused. This should be something that can only be uh, used by the true owner of that current piece of artwork. Um, So IPFS isn't quite there or quite a good enough fit for that, uh, for those requirements yet. Got it. Great. Uh, and then David on the, so again, for the differentiating side, how are you sort of thinking about the, the big things that pop up that I've run into are curation process. So there are some markets uh, like uh, archetype that are pretty adamant that they want zero curation. Um, and then there are some people that are saying, no, you know, the, this is going to be highly curated. Um, and, you know, the, we, we want to talk personally with each artist and make sure that they are presenting work that we find compelling and sort of reflects the brand. And, you know, where do you see yourself on that spectrum? And, you know, what do you think it is about sort of the artists that you're choosing that maybe set, set you aside now and will set you aside moving forward? So, uh, yeah, I've got some kind of strong opinions about this but I kind of get quite passionate about our kind of vision that we've kind of played with our vision statement that we've played with is, is kind of like discover showcase and sell digital artwork and on the most respected market 
place. And what I mean by respected is respected by kind of crypto enthusiasts and the art world. I think to get respect in the art world, you kind of need credibility. That comes from not having just crypto enthusiasts that do art, but artists that then get educated about like blockchain and crypto. But we we were trying to like hook a big a kind of big artist name because with that brings a bunch of like credibility to collectibles and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think that's really interesting that get an understanding that there is a value to digital scarcity, but educating traditional artists about that because they're so used to creating a digital asset, putting it on Dribble, anyone can see it, anyone can right-click on it and essentially drag it onto their desktop. They lose they lose track of it if people are just using it on other stuff. Um, it's, a, it's a bit of an education piece at the minute for our artists, um, but it's... I think it's an exciting space. And like you say, it's really early. Um, I think um, the people we've got on our on our platform are a really nice mix of like traditional kind of graphics guys, illustrators, and your, your crypto enthusiasts that also does art. Right. Um, and we're looking at doing kind of, we've got two things going on. We're kind of, we've got, created pieces which are a collection of work from many different artists that kind of have a loose theme that tie tie them together we don't prescribe this to the artists and kind of when we get submissions in you can see like a theme emerging Uh, so it might be character based or it might be landscapes or it might be portraits or just you can almost see a common theme from these pieces that are being submitted that we then you can almost bundle those together is like a collection. I think that's there's something really nice about having a, like an editorial slant on it. Uh, yeah, agreed. We'd never prescribe that to the artists and ask them to submit pieces that they didn't feel represented them. But you're you're able and, to add value similar to the way that a museum adds value, right? So by choosing which works to show with which other works, right? So if you if you have a handful of landscapes, how you position these works relative to the other works you're offering for sale is, is important, right? So one of the things I hear the most from uh, artists is I actually think there's going to be a, a pretty large market for someone who figures out how to make it so that artists can make their own marketplace because there are a lot of artists who want to be on these marketplaces with other people but the example I give is like, if I draw, um, you know, bloody skulls, I don't necessarily want my work to be right next to um, uh, someone who draws like flowers, right? So the artists have their own sense of branding. And I think there's sometimes hesitation that if I put my, I've spent years building my brand as an artist. And if I put my work on this marketplace, you know, how are they going to um, treat my work and, and represent my work? And I think it sounds like you're you're taking a thoughtful approach at looking at the work and not just slapping all the work together on a website, but trying to figure out how to weave them together based on, you know, again, curating it similar to a museum so that the works that are beside and around that work actually lift its its importance or value rather than distract from it. Is that a fair description? 
that's a fair description. It is the, it is a, a nod to the traditional creator of a gallery, right? So, like you say, when you go into a gallery, there's there's certain pieces put in certain places to draw you in and to tell a story. We're going to start looking at how we might be able to start weaving these narratives through uh, onto Known Origin. And with, with conversations we've been having with the artists, um, they're really excited by the idea of collaboration and commissions and all this kind of things that they understand. But we help them find people that can like put this in a digital kind of environment. Yep, that makes sense. So then for for folks that are listening, how open, so are you, are you sort of looking to add lots and lots of new artists really quickly and they should reach out? Or you've sort of got a backlog of artists that you're already kind of slowly putting out there? Or like, are there requirements for the kind of work that you're looking at? Like, how would artists that, I get, I get probably more emails than anything else from artists who are like, hey, I'm a photographer or I'm a, you know, some, some that are actually challenging. Like I'm a sculptor and I want to, you know, be part of this. I like what I'm seeing around blockchain. Sure. Part of it's, I just want a larger audience, but you know, I find this interesting. How do I, how do I reach out? Um, so for folks that have those questions, uh, how do they engage with you? So artists can always, always reach out to us. We do submission rounds. So they come around every couple of weeks where we tweet out saying we're, we're, we've got an open submission round and it's the, the closing date is like the 5th of June. Email your interest to hello at knownorigin.io and then we do have some editorial guidelines that we kind of, some of our principles that we stand by and we do have to let people know that they've not made it, they've not made the cut and that could be the the created collection that we're putting together, their work that they submitted didn't meet didn't meet that kind of uh, theme or uh, process we're going through. It doesn't mean it won't get submitted in a later collection. It just means that this time you didn't quite make it. Uh, but we are we never we never not look at the stuff that gets submitted. We're always reaching out for artists, but we do have kind of editorial principles that we kind of try and stick by. And we like to do more of a created collection approach rather than like self-submission that anyone can just submit anything at any time. There is a little bit of uh, editorial control there. Yeah, I think that's, that's, um, it's one of the areas where I'm glad that there are as many marketplaces as there are that are popping up. I think people sometimes think, oh, you know, well, how many, how many of these marketplaces can be supported? Well, the analog, if you look at the physical world, you know, there are thousands of physical galleries, right? Um, And what you start to notice, I think, in the digital world, so I think it was last week, um, there was a a woman who is an adult movie actress who reached out to me with her art and wanted to put it onto a marketplace. And it's, you know, it has a lot of nudity in it. And at first, I just, I almost didn't respond to the email. And then I was thinking, you know what? It's a big part of what is going on here is that there's a, there's a marketplace for everybody, right? So I asked around, and sure enough, I found someone who felt very strongly that they weren't going to um, center, you know, they were going to keep it fully decentralized and not curate anything. So I was able to make that connection. So I think I think it's smart that people do what feels right to them, right? Don't feel pressured to to go one direction or the other because at the end of the day, it's your marketplace, right? And you'll need to answer for 
the quality and the nature of the content um, and the artwork that ends up there. Yeah, and it's, and, and, sorry, yeah, James, go on. I've hogged the mic for a while. I was I was going to say, and that doesn't always mean that we can't do that in the future. You know, we've got several sort of projects on our roadmap that we'd like to really get get more time to work on. One of that is self-creating, self sort of verified artwork. You know, Fan Bits has just launched, which is kind of similar than the sort of additional marketplace that we've spoke about between the three of us in the past, which is more of a self-registry, self-sovereign, sort of self-created marketplace. But at the moment, known origin, we're all quite happy that it, it, there is this editorial slant, as Dave puts it, and I think that's quite... Um, that's that's the way we like it for known origin as it stands at the moment anyway. Yeah, I don't see the two as being mutually exclusive. I'll share with you that I've probably talked to a dozen or so folks building uh, marketplaces on the blockchain for art. Most of them, and, and you know, I, I tend to agree with them, feel like, I don't know if, um, oh, what's the, I'm always, I always forget. There, I know there's Wix and then there's Squarespace, I think is the other one. It's not a perfect analogy, but when you make a website using Wix or Squarespace, um, if you're an artist or just anybody, you don't necessarily have their branding all over the place. It's just, you want it to be like your site or whatever. And I, I think there will be, someone's going to do really well by building out a platform for the artists who actually prefer just to have 100% control and want to be able to sell their work you know, through the, the blockchain, accept cryptocurrency, have the provenance but aren't necessarily interested in being part of a marketplace. Now, that's not a knock at all on the marketplace. I can tell you as a buyer or a collector, I, I like the idea of having a marketplace, and I think it'd be hard. I think a lot of artists that think they want to have sort of this fully autonomous solution that they can use on their own would discover that unless you've already built an audience, there's nothing inherent about putting your work on the blockchain that gets you that audience, right? That's where a marketplace like Known Origin becomes really valuable. But I do think there's there's room for both. So I'm glad to hear that you're thinking about both and looking at both. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Yeah, we've got some of the kind of concepts that allow, almost allow people to create their own art based on some assets or pieces that have uh, been created by our featured artists, which I think will be interesting. That's very early days, yeah. So how are you guys thinking about another question that pops up a lot slash concern, uh, depending on who you're talking to, is the idea of being able to buy and sell works on other platforms. So my understanding is if it's, you know, if it's something that you can buy with ETH and you get a token around it, that you're then able to, to something like OpenSea um, could, you could buy a known origins work on another platform or if someone just... To, to, creates a platform tomorrow and decides that they're going to make it possible to buy and sell works on known origin. That's one component of a conversation that I hear quite a bit. The other component is around royalties. So I think a lot of marketplaces want to play around with royalties. And the reason we're not seeing more of it is, is this same reason. You can't really enforce a royalty um, for future sales if people are able to buy and sell work on other platforms. So I don't know, I'm just curious of what your thoughts are around sort of this ability to buy and sell the work that was purchased in known origin and other spots. I'm pretty sure with digital, regardless of what you want to happen, have happened, I think, I think it's just possible. Yeah. Definitely correct me. Yeah, on that. So, 
So with no origin, at the moment, only uh, the three of us can actually mint assets onto the website. So it's restricted from that side. But we believe in true ownership of the asset once it's been purchased. So, you know, we are on OpenSea and Rarebits and, we, you know, we've spoken to all the people that are doing these sort of secondary marketplaces. And once you've bought an asset from known origin, it is up to you what you do with it then. You know, we don't take any additional cut. You know, and we do have a few pieces that people have purchased from NeuroOrigin and have listed at some point on OpenSea. You know, I'm not sure if it's been successful to resale or resell, but, you know, uh, personally, I don't have any problem with that because you can buy a print or a piece of artwork from a, a gallery. You know, traditionally, you can then resell that and do as you wish for it, I suppose. And there's no reason why we should restrict that. Great. Yeah, I think uh, it's so early that we haven't seen giant numbers of work being, you know, sort of bought and sold in other spots. But I do think that that's sort of the appeal. An extension to that question, and, you know, I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I think it's worth uh, noting again is if for some reason Known Origin were to, let's say I bought five digital works for Known Origin, and a year from now you decided that, you know, it, it didn't make sense to continue. I would still own that digital work and be able to sell it other places, right? Exactly. Yeah, you would have true ownership. You know, the the ERC seventy one token that we've um, that we've built is it's compliant, but there are no additional hooks or royalties to be made for us. Once you buy it, it is completely yours. The metadata and the images are on IPFS that we don't control. You know, it really is a true token in many respects. Cool. So yeah, one of my um, last questions would be: uh, Are you guys collectors as well? Are you buying, or you know, what what other projects out there um, are exciting to you or inspiring to you guys? So I collect physical and digital. I've been collecting for maybe seven years, physical pieces, and then more recently, obviously, digital. I bought a few. I bought a. Uh, one from CoinFest, which was uh, one of the guys there, created a really neat like, coin journal. I know Andy might have a couple of uh, crypto kitties. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, I think I think everyone's got a couple of crypto kitties nowadays. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find a cute uh, crypto punk that kind of catches my eye when I see one. Yeah, there's a few. There's a few pieces that I've kind of got my eye on. Uh, I don't know how I feel about buying off my own marketplace, though. I don't know if that just feels a bit weird or not. Yeah, I think as long as it's transparent, I mean, not that my opinion is the, the, the deciding one, but I think as long as it's transparent, right? So there is a sense that uh, people sometimes pump their own, going back to the cryptocurrency side, people will sometimes pump their own currency to uh, and then drop it, you know, to try to manipulate markets or whatever. But I don't, I don't see any ethical issue. With, at the end of the day, it's supporting artists, right? So, yeah, yeah. Because my wife's seen Bunchy and Frankie's new work. She's like, that, I, I love that one. Like, that would be great just for the... Just, she's more of like, we put it up in a frame kind of headspace mindset, which plays nicely into our, like, if I buy it, is it is the high-res download version. That kind of plays really nicely, nicely into like, like user need. Um, but I just don't know how I feel about buying through my own marketplace, if that makes sense. But yeah, it's super transparent because it'll be all on the ether scan and it'll be all on the blockchain. But 
I don't, yeah, it's like, um, does it feel like I'm manipulating the numbers a little bit? I don't know. You know, here's why I think it's okay. And again, I'm not the um, I'm not the deciding factor on ethical issues in the world or whatever. But I, I think end of the day, if you're putting money in artists' pockets and they're able to make more creative work, I have a hard time figuring out why that's bad. You know, yeah. And I genuinely like the piece. You know, so yeah, it's yeah. Like, if I see something and I like it, then yeah, it's, it's, interesting. it's interesting that you touch on the money aspect as well. You know, obviously there is. Uh, a commission fee for, for hosting Unknown Origin, but as part of the smart contract, we, whenever a payment is made, we, we don't escrow that money. We actually direct that straight to the ether address that the artist provides us. So it's like instant payout for any purchases, which I know a lot of artists have come to us, which they found amazing. They, you know, you get them on board, you explain blockchain, they create a trust wallet account, they give us their address and then a sale happens and immediately they get, they get the ETH, you know, and they're over the moon by it. It's a problem. So it's a problem in the traditional art world um, that galleries will sometimes sell work and be kind of slow to get the payment back to the artist. Or, you know, middlemen will charge one price to the consumer and, and mention a different price to the artist who actually sold the work. So having the smart contract sort of handle those details I think is, is a, an advantage that's not always focused on as much as it should be in blockchain. Although I'm you know curious to, a lot of times people talk about this idea of cutting out the middleman, you know, blockchain because of the smart contract. You know, if you look at currency first, the credit card providers and banks, you know, you can, you can avoid having to pay these additional fees. So I, I do think it's worth having the conversation around what your commission rates are and how you think about your role in the transaction, given the smart contract and how it fires. I, have, I sort of have my own thoughts, but I'd be curious to see what, what you guys think in terms of you know, people's sensitivity around having a third party in a blockchain transaction, um, and then just generally your thoughts behind what the commission structure looks like. Dave, you want to go first? Oh, Dave's gone. So um, yeah, I can, get, I can sort of answer this. So... Each piece that we mint can, in theory, have a unique commission structure, but at the moment it's just simple and there's one. You know, we take, uh, I think it's 24% of the fee, which I know when Dave was looking is quite lo- uh, quite a bit lower than most traditional art galleries, but it's not something I'm too sort of clued up on exactly the commission structure. But really that, that basically at the moment goes into hosting costs, uh, marketing costs, general development costs, and yeah, that's, that's that's sort of the current structure. And the way I see our marketplace, it, it is a marketplace. We we find and curate uh, or, or and list the artwork for for our, and we are in theory I suppose a middleman, but there is no additional party that's involved in the sale. When the sale takes place, it's between the user, the smart contract, and the artist, and then the money. Or the ETH gets sliced up accordingly from that automatically as well. Great, yeah. I think it does. It does cost money and time and energy and development to make these things work. So, yeah, I think that folks that I'm glad that folks are sort of competing with each other to try to get the commissions as low as possible and as high as possible for the artists. But I think people are realizing that in order to be sustainable, there needs to be something um, there. And it's another area where I'm glad that there are many marketplaces launching because I think it's healthy, right, to try to keep the the commissions at a a reasonable rate. 
And then the idea of sort of the, it's something that I sort of struggle with and think about on my own, the idea of what a middleman is in art in general, right? So, I mean, I don't make any money off of this podcast or off of my, my website, but if you really boil down what I do, I essentially just talk to artists and write about what I think is interesting about their work and tech and stuff. And so I, you know, I'll be in conversations where people are talking about how much they hate the middleman. I'll be like, well, I kind of am a middleman, you know, like (laughs) what else, you know, what else am I doing? I'm basically adding value by talking about how I look at these things and talking to people that, you know, have interesting ideas around it. So, um, I don't, I don't begrudge folks that are building marketplaces for covering the costs. And I think that that's how we'll see, you know, you, you talked about it earlier that it's really innovation and development that's going to propel these things forward. And, um, you know, it's hard to do that purely as a hobby on a, a larger scale. Hey, it's Jason again. If you're enjoying the Dank Rares podcast, do us all a favor and please go in and leave a comment or a like. You can do that either on SoundCloud or on iTunes. As always, thanks again to our awesome producers, Hyper Freedom Productions.